Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like this show, rate, review, subscribe. You know, just just tell somebody. That's all we ask. Just tell somebody about the damn show. If you would like to get us a Christmas gift, go share the product with somebody else. That is all the gift we would ever need from you folks. You wonderful, amazing listeners out there. That's not true. We'll take money as well. But Oh, okay. But 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 that's secondary to sharing it. <laughs> Go fund me, <laughs> Lamestream Sports Podcast. Uh, happy holidays, everybody. Um, so kind of a different episode today. Uh, we, obviously, for the holiday week, hope everybody has a wonderful Christmas, Hanukkah, Festivus for the rest of us, whatever it is you celebrate out there. Please have a wonderful time. Relax a little bit. We will talk with Scott Ramsey of the National Sports Council, of course, also the head of the Music City Bowl. We're going to talk a lot of finance and business and the selection process and how that game has grown but it'll be a shorter interview. You'll get that at the end of the episode. We are going to spend the majority of the time today, Steve, navel-gazing and determining exactly who is the most popular people in Nashville in the media on the internet. That's our goal. This, this is what the media does best. This is a media show. We like to stare at our navels. <laughs> and uh, so we are going to rank and explain what we learned, hopefully give you some uh, critical thought and, <laughs> and analysis on the top 10 most listened to episodes of our own show <laughs> in, in, in 2021. Um, no egos were hurt wait, in the making of wait, this episode. Can, can, can you hear, wait? I can hear people clicking off right now. <laughs> or you want to find out who was the most interesting people in Nashville in the media. And I know all you media folk aren't clicking it off right now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but we'll do, we'll do that coming up in just a second. We will rank them 10 to one. And we will tell you, this is based on most, you know, the most listens of these shows, how many people listen to these shows. Uh, so we'll do that. Most yeah. This is not our own personal rankings. This is by you, the listener. Yes. Most popular episodes of lamestream in 2021. Um, I'm not sure this, the, the Ouroboros of, of self, uh, aggrandizing <laughs> podcasting at this point. Um, all right. So before we do that, however, a, a group of folks that would never self-aggrandize. Lamestream Sports is brought to you by... It's brought to you by Jaspers. It is, in fact. It is, in fact, brought to you by Jaspers. The parking is still free. They still have wonderful Christmas gift options over there in the grab-and-go market. Great stocking stuffers, of course. Uh, and uh, the menu's great. The, the parking's free. There will be no Preds games this, <laughs> this, this week. Right. Um, but they still have great happy hour specials all the other times of the day. So go check are them they, out. Are they going to run the specials on the days that the Predators <laughs> would have played? <laughs> Thursday evening from six to nine, <laughs> you get some specials, but there's no game to watch. There'll be bowl games and NFL games. So there's still plenty of reasons to pop out, uh, of course, uh, during the holiday week to get away from the in-laws and go grab yourself a cold beverage and some nice food. So go to Jasper's everybody. All right. You want to get into, <laughs> you want to get into this? So let's do it. Um, what we learned from each of these episodes, we'll give you a little bit of that. And then also sort of why we think maybe these particular episodes were popular. Um, so there, there, we'll try to give you some actual critical thought here. All right. Uh, the, the, the episodes that did not make the top 10. This is uh, 11 through 15. And Steve, you can jump in at any point here. And stop or, or do it here. Do it 15 through 11. Do 15 through 11. Okay. 15. Adam Vingan of The Athletic. Uh, Adam, you didn't make it. I'm sorry, Betty. Sorry, bud. Truth, Lies, and Lobby. That one was on September 24th. And Adam's been on the beat for a long time, had an interesting relationship with Peter Laviolette, and told some very interesting stories about perhaps being misled from time to time perhaps. by the head coach of the Nashville Predators. But uh, Adam, always an interesting read and a tremendous, uh, a tremendous um, uh, reporter. Corey Curtis, number 14 on the list, the death of Steve McNair, and I think how to cover such a very heavy, serious topic. If you want to learn about that, I think he was great talking about Steve McNair. Yes. Okay. Uh, number 13, Hal Gill. Keep it moving. Hal Gill, um, his sort of entrance into broadcasting, number 13 on the list. That one was May 14th. Hal is just a brilliant human being. You can listen to talk about anything in the world. So go check out the Hal Gill episode. Number 12, Adam Sparks, who was leaving the Vanderbilt beat. And at the time, we did not know, was about to take the job covering the Tennessee Volunteers. Um, but uh, seven years, if you want to hear seven stories of Vanderbilt coverage, go check out the Adam Sparks episode. Great conversation with him. He's one of the best voices, like literally, literally how it sounds when you listen to him talk is, is tremendous. I, love I mean, Adam he's Sparks. not Hutton, but then again, who is <laughs> slightly different? Uh, your love of Jonathan Hutton is, uh, is reaching is, unique, is, unique levels. 
Josh Ward, of course, uh, two decades of media days. He covered media days that one back in July. So if you want to take a take a trip down media days memory lane, as we all want to do, uh, Josh Ward did a great job there. Number eleven. Okay, number ten. Number ten on the the list. Tenth tenth most listened to episode of Landstream Sports in twenty twenty one. March twelfth. Buck rising, moving back into radio. This is when he took the job at 104.5 to do the midday show. Um, and uh, a lot about his age and what he brings to the table, the audience he attracts, and and why he was the right fit and, and why he wants to talk for like seven hours a day. I still don't believe that Buck can talk as many hours in the day as he does. I, every time I, I look in my Twitter feed, something else is being posted that he is commenting on, which, I mean, good for you, man. <laughs> Glad, glad you could do it holy crap that is a lot of content it, it is a it is a it's a, it's not i don't i don't want to say an unsustainable pace because he can do it he's, he's got the talent to do it oh it's unsustainable it's just gonna just burn <laughs> him up here in a couple of years but uh yeah, yeah when he turns 36 he'll be like what the hell is i doing um and uh but but lots of interesting thoughts about the the digital element to radio and how the two mediums work together uh in that show and in that conversation and and he's sort of like right in the middle of all those different forces at play in the media. And so uh, always interesting to talk to Buck. Um, I, I wish he was able to, and I think he actually talked about this on the episode. I wish he was able to be more of like the history book reading, like Middle Eastern Buck <laughs> on his radio show, but he knows that doesn't work on, on digital broadcasts and on radio. Like it just doesn't, it it's, it doesn't work. You gotta we, do it on podcasts. We, as you say, we need to do like a separate pod just of that, of that side of Buck. The words you're not allowed to say on the air, and they're not FCC violations. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, Buck Rising, number 10. You want to move on to number nine? How, how, are, we feeling number about nine. The, how are we feeling about the format so far? Feeling good? Yeah, we're, we're pretty good. Okay. Can't complain. Right. Number, nine. Number, number nine. Mike Keith, hometown kid, makes it big. Just a, a fantastic story about how he got the job, uh, being in the right place at the right time, being good to people, and busting your ass, and then just going out and working the field. I mean, he was out working the grind to try to sell the Titans to the entire state of Tennessee. Uh, and he was at the, the, the spearhead on that, that, that endeavor back in the mid nineties, early night, late nineties. And just, uh, you know, listening to Mike Keith tell stories is, uh, is an easy thing to do. It's a very easy thing to do. You know, the, the it's always interesting to me that when, when you have somebody on and you really enjoy and really enjoy something. And I'm like you, I can listen to Mike Keith all day long. You're just, Come in, read the phone book, tell stories, do whatever you want to do. I don't, I don't care. But it's interesting to me, like how many people we've had on that have had interactions with with Keith, and they all say the same thing. They all just love the guy and 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 love what he's how he's helping people's careers and how he how he is, uh, you know, what he does, kind of for for the Titans uh, network and for just kind of his interactions are just gold. It's 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 just really really nice to hear somebody that you're a voice that you're so familiar with and that you're, you know, that you look forward to hearing every week on the radio, um, that, that they're actually a, a, a good human being. Uh, he's just, he's just so much fun. I, I, I would, you know, I'd love to do that, that pod on an annual basis and just, you know, hear the best of Mike Keith. It's great. All of the same things are said about Buck on a frequent basis. Um, those are all the same things uh, that they say about Buck. By the way, Buck really, really good at the internet. Great at the internet. Why one of his episodes would be very well listened to Mike Keith the big name, everyone in the Titans world loves this guy. And to your point, everyone in the world loves this guy. And he told some stories about the Super Bowl and getting sick. And he told stories about his co-hosts and how to call a game, told us stories about pandemic, calling games during the pandemic. It was, this was about the time this was uh, back in February. Uh, so go back and check that episode out again. I'm with you listening to Mike Keith is, is that's a, that sort of speaks for itself. Number eight on the list. A little bit of drama and controversy leading to this one being ranked where it was, which always helps an interesting topic uh, with an interesting guest, Joe Rexroad, depth and context back in mid-February. This was all about the Jerry Stackhouse and how his headline and his very long, well-thought-out, nuanced, reported column about Jerry Stackhouse, where he's quoting the wife <laughs> and quoting all these other people deep in the weeds of this very complicated story, gets completely twisted and changed by maybe some bad faith actors on the internet. Yeah. Uh, Rexroad, and it's what's interesting is, uh, to me, is that Rexroad, because he lives in two worlds, 
because he he had he's on the radio every day on 1025 but he's also uh, he's also on the athletic he, he has he has a he has a really interesting perspective on kind of how these things happen because you know radio can do some of that but when he spends as much i mean joe's a very thoughtful writer he's a very good feature writer and when he puts as much time and effort into something like that stackhouse piece uh, the thing that I loved about it is that it kind of out of the whole controversy, he unloaded his notebook and basically printed the whole transcript of the, of the Stackhouse interview in order to in, in order to kind of show what had happened. I, I thought it was great. I mean, Joe's a great guy. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a hell of a he's a hell of a journalist. But uh, I, I thought he, I thought the way he handled the whole thing was really was really good. And, and talking to him about his day to day, I'm not sure he works much less than Buck Rising. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> it may not be. It may not be talking all the time, but that dude, like Teresa Walker, for example, at the AP, is at every single press conference for every single team covering, you know, seven or eight different teams in this in this city and in the state. And oh, by the way, is on the air every morning for four hours. So um, it, he he's doing a, he's doing a, he's putting a lot of work in. So give, yeah. give Rex credit. And and the other the other thing I took away from that conversation is to your point about releasing the entire transcript. Like even when people have every single word to, to sort of comb through and, and digest, they still don't get it sometimes. Like yeah. that, that's what's really frustrating is that, and again, some of that's people don't have the time to do it, but it, it is a, there's a lack of critical thinking when it comes to consuming some of these complicated issues that I think is a, a problem. And that, that episode I thought really uh, highlighted that. Uh, always, always go check out Joe Rexroad stuff. Number seven on the list, uh, again, most listened to by the audience, Tim Corbin, Marketing College Baseball. This one in June, of course, around the time that Vanderbilt went to the College World Series. And pretty obvious why this one ranked highly. Tim Corbin is just, he's like Mike Keith, but with a championship ring. <laughs> and and is uh, the best guy in his field, arguably the highest and best baseball coach in all of college baseball. And is far more of a teacher than a coach now and talked a lot about that. I just, again, just like Mike Keith, anytime you hear him talk, have an opportunity to speak with him, you are probably going to learn something and uh, and probably make your life better because of it. Corbin is Corbin is is he the most respected sports figure in town? Amy Adams Strunk will be one, I think. Yeah, but I think Corbin would be well, a, a very well, close well, second. Amy Adams Strunk would would maybe be the most popular just because of the of the Titans. I I would argue that okay okay I, I would argue it, it, just to change it just a little bit and to say respected. Who is the most I, I think, accomplished person in their field? Maybe hard to argue, uh, Tim Corbin. Hard to argue, Tim Corbin. He is sort of the the gold standard to me for what you're looking for. <laughs> we'll cross also, promo also, there. Also, another great <laughs> podcast on the 440 Sports Network. <laughs> uh, he's the gold standard to me for what you want out of a college coach, because if you if you and if you look at just how his players come back to him. And, and uh, you know, years later, uh, he's had a ton of talent come through that program. Yeah. They've had a lot of success. But he, he also, in you know, engenders fierce, fierce loyalty out of his people. He's not a, you know, he is, he's such a low-key kind of guy and handles himself with just such dignity kind of at all times. Uh, and, you know, you've seen, and he's had to at certain points kind of throughout his Vanderbilt career, you know. Whether it, it whether it's the death of a player, whether it is kind of the highs of 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 being uh, you know being a national champion, whether you know all, all, kind of everything in between, he is just he is just a a phenomenal human being, and uh, I you know I'm not I'm not surprised that people want to hear from uh, people want to hear from uh, Mr. Corbin. Dignity, I think, is the right word, unless he's ordering a steak, and then I lose all <laughs> respect for the man. But you have to go listen to the episode to know what that means. <laughs> you can guess. Uh, number six, David Ubbin. This was his exit interview from the beat on Tennessee. He worked for three years. Lucky for him, during the three Jeremy Pruitt seasons. <laughs> his, his, his time in Knoxville directly overlapped with the Jeremy Pruitt era. So he, we sort of did a Jeremy Pruitt end of the era exit interview with David Ubbin of the athletic he's now off to the national beat this was in the middle of august august 20th before the josh although Michael he ended up running started. a bunch of tennessee during the during the season 
well, you know, when when Lane Kiffin returns to town and things go a little haywire, you have to sort of write an article or a column, <laughs> perhaps. Um, and again, speaking of nuance and complexity, I'm not sure the uh, Vol Twitter understood all of the things he was, all the points he was making uh, in that particular column. But no, David Ubbin, uh, listen, he is he's an excellent reporter. He's a great feature writer. And I think one of the things I learned from him was how he approached a topic he was writing about to go seek out and search out all the other perspectives. And you get, this is a through line through most great writers and reporters, but to seek out all the other additional perspectives around a story to sort of create the context and the holistic picture of what he's writing about. I think David Ubbin did a great job of explaining that. If you, and again, if I think all of these are great episodes, obviously we, we like them, <laughs> but, but, but Ubbin, I think, did a, a particularly good job of explaining how he approaches a story and where he starts his sort of vision of that that story and the perspective. I, I was unfamiliar with Ubbin before he came onto the, the the Tennessee beat, and it was it was a lot of fun watching him cover that beat as well as he did. And in, 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 I think he sort of exemplifies the style that the Athletic has tried to has tried to approach beats with in general, but college football beats in particular. They're not going to break everything. They're not trying to break everything, but they they they've developed these kind of authoritative posts in you know in, in different in different college football towns, so that you know that when when something happens, like I need when something happened with Tennessee, and, and it happened a lot <laughs> during the Pruitt era, I, I I knew that I had to read what Ubbin uh, was saying was saying about the balls. Uh, no surprise that three of the top fifteen we've had are from athletic reporters. I don't. I don't think that's a. I don't think that's a surprise. <laughs> just to be yeah. honest with you. And, and it'll be interesting to see. There, there are reports out last week that the athletics been trying to sell itself here for six to nine months. There's been rumors of a bunch of a uh, bunch of different stuff, but apparently the New York Times is kind of back in the frame. So, man, if the New York Times and the Athletic were to Join forces, uh, yeah. kind of hook it up. I think that would be a, that would be sort of a powerhouse uh, situation. Well, and they've been trying to increase their valuation throughout this entire process, obviously, as they try to sell and and recoup all that investment money. Um, but the model is extremely sound. And as a subscriber, would I double my fee to pay for that subscription? Maybe. I I, I mean, I use I read stories on the Athletic almost as much as I read anything else about sports. Uh, especially in this town with good people like Rex Road and Adam Vingan, uh, and at the time, you know David Ubbin. And so there, there's there's a lot of re- I, like if you care about the NHL or about soccer or about like college football, there's 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 a couple of major topics that they just simply do better than everybody else. Yeah, I I I got it initially for the locals, uh, for for Adam and Joe and and others, uh, and have kept it for particularly for their soccer coverage. They went they 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 essentially bought out the best. Okay. <laughs> the best beat writers on almost every team in the English Premier League. Um, they've got great coverage of, of most of Europe when the World Cup rolls around, and like when the Euros rolled around last year and when, when the World Cup rolls around next year. It's just the best coverage that's out there. Well, so, and and uh, I was reading one over the weekend, actually, about the, like didn't five games just get canceled this past weekend? And yep. and so really yep. in-depth reporting on who the power brokers and what they're trying to decide because COVID's obviously hitting all these these comp, these teams and these leagues. So, um, yeah, they, they have European soccer on, on lockdown. <laughs> no, yep. no but they also had the, I think they have the NHL on lockdown. As well. I totally agree. They got Pierre Lebrun yeah. and Elliot Friedman. They got all these great guys and. College football as well. I think college football, they've got some of the best reporters going uh, in, in college football. So, it, they, again, it doesn't mean they can't. They're not doing other stuff great as well, but um, it, it's worth the price of admission there. Okay, off slobbering all over the athletic. Let's move on to slobbering all <laughs> of our own podcast episodes. Uh, Tatum Everett, number <laughs> number five. Um, this is her exit interview. She was um, uh, at Fox 17 and had a lot of interesting words and thoughts and concepts about the relative cheapness of Fox 17. Well, just and it's not just them. It is to your point, but also just the state of television. And I've talked to a lot of other people at other networks and they're dealing with the same thing. When somebody leaves one of these jobs, they just don't fill it. They, they don't they don't put resources into this stuff. And Tatum Everett did not hold back. And I think a she's a very likable, very personable. I've had a chance to do shows with her in the past and just a very popular person on the internet. That's why people listen to this episode, but she also had a lot of really thoughtful things to say about the TV business because she was getting out of it in theory (laughs) to go work for a team in the Minnesota Vikings. 
of everybody that's in the top 10, she was the one person that I had never either met or seen her work or whatever else kind of coming into the interview. Um, I've actually kind of followed some of her stuff with the Vikings this year, just cause I wanted to, Yeah, I, I, w- I was really interested after, uh, you know, after, after the podcast and she's really, really good <laughs> way to, way to fuck that up. Fox 17. <laughs> um, well, but, she, uh, she was she was trying to move to be. She with, was trying. Uh, she was the, trying the to get significant to, other, to many, yeah, yeah. yeah, she is. Um, the Jim, she's the Jim Wyatt of TV. Also, a very popular episode, the Jim Wyatt episode. Go listen to that. But she is the television version of Jim Wyatt and crossed the street, and now gets to focus on telling the stories she likes to tell and sort of knew where her strengths and weaknesses were. Again, very likable person. Very very good content. Very good interview. Not surprised at all that one's up there. Although to your point, a lot of people probably didn't know her because she was on a very she was on a TV channel that didn't invest in her. Yeah. But, but, but to your point, I I think when you, and this is certainly true in this market, I'm, I'm talking kind of about the whole operation, not just, not just kind of the sports operation, because I think there's some sports people doing really good work at, at a bunch of stations around town, but there is a clear market leader. Usually there's a clear market leader here. It's, it's channel five. And then the, the level of resources diminishes as it kind of goes down. I think KRN and, and Corey and his staff have a lot to work with on uh, on channel two, and then it just four has less to has less to work with, and then seventeen has even less to work with there, and and it shows. And 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 yeah, it's 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 troubling what's happening with TV because there's a lot of really great people and they've got great stories to tell, but there's not enough resources. So, but again, um, sort of the story of the business at this point. Uh, number four on the list, and I, I speaking of channel four. I could not be I could not be more I don't want to say proud but just like I'm happy with our audience that this one made it this high up the list and was this well received because I thought it was probably the most important interview we did because it had less to do with media and more to do with people and number 4 on the list Joe Fisher longtime Vanderbilt play-by-play man the cost of addiction this was in July 16th he had just taken the job with Tennessee Tech to sort of start working there again and kind of rebounded went through a really tumultuous time in his life um, with alcoholism and, and just one of the more self-aware, thoughtful, um, genuinely important conversations that you and I will probably ever have on this show. And I'm very glad the, I'm just, it makes me just honestly very happy that our audience enjoyed that one as much as they did. I appreciate Joe being as candid as, as he, as he was, because it's a, you know, it's a tricky position. He's a public figure. And, you know, some people get some people get turned off by that, that the amount of candidness, even around something as, as serious as recovery. I, I think, you know, his story, hopefully, if somebody listens, to, somebody listens to Joe and, and, and hears that and hears themselves in that situation, hopefully, you know, they find help. But you know, fortunately, he finally got help. Uh, and it has is apparently doing very well at Tennessee Tech. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm very happy for him. After after a pretty kind of ignoble kind of exit there from 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 Vanderbilt, Joe's a really good guy. Uh, my my partner at the Banner, Demetria uh, Kalodimos, is a is a huge Joe Fisher fan and has been, you know, personally for years. And was just was just kind of has just been kind of thrilled that that he's landed on his feet like he has. Uh, and so, what, what's weird is as that episode has aged and as we have continued on through this pandemic as a society. I am a little bit, and I think, I think his ouster happened. I want to say before the pandemic happened, but I, I, I am a little like, maybe I'm wrong on this, but it feels like the more and more I get removed from that situation, the more and more I think Vanderbilt could have done more and could have stood by him a little bit more. I understand his mistakes and the things he did wrong. And I think he's very open about that. Again, go back and listen to the episode, but I, I think there are there is space now where we understand all these things a little bit more widely as a society and standing by someone with a with an addiction problem. I don't think that's viewed as like a negative. I don't think people look at supporting mental health as like a negative anymore. And sometimes you make a mistake on air and there has to be punishment for it. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on this, Steve, and you can disagree with me if you want. I just I feel like the the further we get removed from that and the further he's showing people at Tennessee Tech that he's he's still the same guy we all loved all those years. He just made a mistake and has a problem and he's addressing it to, to be better. I, I don't, does that make sense? I don't know. Little, it does. Little, I understand. Little, I understand kind of the, the standard that you have to have in that position. That's true. Um, you know, I, I don't think Vanderbilt did, did anything wrong there. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm just glad Joe Fisher kind of landed on his feet. Yep. No question about that. All right. Uh, now we get into the, the, the interesting section of the rankings here. 
Now, number three on the list was actually the same guy who was number one on the list. So we had him on twice. So it's two separate episodes that were ranked number one and number three. We're going to move number three to number one and combine them into one person so we can get more people on the list. That's what we're doing here. So, so moving up to number three. So moving up to number three, number three on the list, Chad Withrow, the launch of OutKick back in March of 19, 20, or March 19th, excuse me. <laughs> and this was basically the first week of the show. And it is amazing where that show has evolved to when you go back and listen to Jonathan Hutton's episode a couple of weeks ago, how much that show has changed in such a short period of time. This is before Fox purchased OutKick, but this was as they were launching. And so it's a lot about how they their negotiation and their departure from 104.5, they're landing it at OutKick and sort of the vision for what OutKick wants to be. And a lot of that stuff is 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 coming to fruition. So Chad Withrow, number three on the list. I think the OutKick kind of, whole transition from from 1045 is one of the is one of the more fascinating sort of things because these are this is a set of guys who had a had a brand and their brand is essentially the three of us it, it's weird we're friends we've been friends on the air you've you've come to us for years we have expertise in different areas but but we are we are we are the brand and they've carried that into the they've carried that into this new space and trying to it's interesting to me to see how they're building audience, kind of the, the platforms that they're building on. I, I think they've learned a lot from between when we talked to Withrow right after they launched to when we talked to Hutton a few weeks ago, just about, about where things are going and, and how they're going to find uh, things. You know, they were trying to do stuff very much kind of like within YouTube. Uh, and then I, I think Hutton said a few weeks ago that they're, you know, that they're watching their Twitter metrics the most because they're broadcasting directly on Twitter. And how they're finding that audience uh, is is absolutely fascinating to me. And, and they're because they're really good at what they do. I'm glad to see that. Uh, I'm glad to see that they have uh, kind of worked out. No more crotch know, shots. No yeah. more crotch shots. I got the crotch shots out of there. <laughs> that was good. But Withrow, uh, Withrow in particular uh, is just. I mean, I, I went back and listened to to parts of these uh, in, in sort of prep. With well, just a great interview. I mean, he, yeah, he really talker. is. Yep. The, the man is a good talker. <laughs> yes, he is. Um, speaking of being just sort of brilliant here, and I, I think one of the best things that 1025 the game has ever done outside of firing me is hiring <laughs> is hiring Caroline Fenton. Number two on the list, Caroline Fenton, who has implemented a digital revolution for that company, in my opinion, and, and, and did it in strange way because of her sort of starting and beginning role with Jared Stillman in the afternoon show. She is the she's the and company on Stillman and company. And the idea is for her to grow into the role. And she does a great job explaining sort of the thought processes behind their decision making on that. But she also has implemented a massive digital strategy to sort of grow and 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 uh, elevate their brand. And if you look at the look at the ratings, 1025's ratings are as good as they've been in a long time. And 104 ratings are not <laughs> as good as they've been in a long time. And so I think she's I think she's part of it. And I think she was a brilliant move by 1025. I think she's a brilliant individual, very thoughtful, very smart, uh, has every tool you need to be a superstar in this business i think one day will be on that episode was also the chad withrow drive-by um where he and i accomplished absolutely nothing by arguing with each other about a completely meaningless topic in our media lives so that was also a part of that so we got to be fair and mention that withrow was on that one as well for about 10 minutes but uh, caroline fenton was the star of that episode and um i think she's she's gonna have a big time career in this industry that one was back in august 13th how much you think it bugs stillman that Caroline is number two. <laughs> I hope a lot. I hope. <laughs> um, uh, now, no, I think I, I, I think you're exactly. Fair, we, have not, we have not had we had Stillman on to talk about the passing of Floyd right, Reese, right. and he was brilliant in that situation. We have not had Stillman on. To be fair, we have not had him on to explain his sort of media career, which actually I think people would be fascinated to know a lot more about the, the Stillman that you don't hear on the air. I think there's a lot more there there. Uh, but for now, Caroline's number one or number two <laughs> and company winning the uh, winning the race. <laughs> What's more um, popular, Stillman or the end company right now? And <laughs> company. I, I think you're right about Caroline. I, I think she, I think she's really, really sharp. And I haven't I haven't had a chance to, to, to listen to the show proper as much as uh, as much as I wanted to. But I 
I end up consuming that show in bits, more in bits and pieces digitally than I do, uh, than I do, than I do on air. I mean, I think that's, uh, that's yep. been a theme yep. of a lot of people that we've talked to here kind of over the, over the last year and a half, but, but, but certainly, uh, certainly it's true of that show. I, I believe that Joe Rexroad's daughter's name is Caroline. And I think one of the more entertaining things that they're doing is having Joe Rexroad's daughter, Caroline, rip on Stillman for not getting not giving Stillman's Caroline enough airtime. That's really good. I, I think that is a tremendous bit that they need to use all the time. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. Also, uh, little Rexroad got a career in the media. She's, she's yeah, very yeah she's sharp. Good, good talker. Uh, all right. So number one on the list, who was also number three, he had the two of the top number one in our hearts and number one in our hearts. And I think it's because he combines every single thing that makes a media personality successful. He is incredibly intelligent. He is a, a great reporter who's very well sourced into his field, deep into his field, just shows you the value of all the different things we talk about on the show, whether it's door knocking, building relationships, cultivating sources, all these things. He's he's a good writer. He also doesn't mind stirring the pot for the sake of stirring the pot, which we also know is very monetizable in our industry and commercially <laughs> successful. He does all of these things and does it all pretty well with like three kids and, um, not really sure who he works for, but Stephen Godfrey, <laughs> number one, uh, most listened to podcast, number three, most listened to podcast. So Stephen Godfrey, our 2021 champion. Godfrey is Godfrey is just one of the more interesting college football reporters, figures, personalities that, that, that you're just going to find. Apparently been, apparently he's been banned from the SEC network. Uh, apparently. As we, as, as we heard a few weeks ago on fringe element, he's been, he's been coming on fringe element here now for a few months blatant plug here on the 440s uh, podcast yes, work yes, go on uh <laughs> godfrey's I, I i've known him for i've known him for forever uh he's he's written for me he has he has one of my favorite techniques ever when dealing with the murky world of college uh football coaching changes kind of the level of certainty at which you can report something he uh, he has uh he calls them therapy words i think i feel i know and he'll he'll put he'll put things into those sorts of categories about uh, you know I think you know this person is going to take this job I know that this job is open for this reason you know I feel like X person is the right person for that job he just does it he just does it so effortlessly uh, it's really kind of nauseating he, well and he also he also does the whole like baiting and trolling thing better than people realize. Like there's a yeah. lot of, cause like he, he's, he's part of this philosophy. is a man that, you have to understand. This is a man who worked in professional wrestling for five years <laughs> and, be, yeah. and understands, understands the tools of the trade and got a one nine six GPA from Ole Miss. So, <laughs> um, and he, he told that story. Listen, this is part philosopher, part reporter, part, uh, cartoon character, Part dirt bag, self self admitted part dirt bag, uh, just just all around great guy, <laughs> just all around but great guy. And the uh, the, the, num the number one the number one uh, podcast was 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 titled "Your Team's Coaching Search." And it's if you want to, yeah, I mean, if if you want to, uh, I mean, and, and this is the perfect season to do it. You want to go back and listen to something? Go listen to that episode, uh, and just him talking about kind of the ins and outs of of the recruiting of college football coaches. Uh, it's fascinating stuff. So, so the two episodes were uh, your team's coaching searches FUBAR. That was January 15th. And that was sort of along the, the, the end of the Jeremy Pruitt era. And then, then his other episode was in July, actually July 4th week, which is a really hard week to get good ratings. And Godfrey's uh, a college football revolution where he cover he covers expansion and name, image, and likeness and the Supreme court ruling. So like two very different topics from him. And he was equally adept at handling both of them uh, again, like, Go check out Fringe Element if you want to hear him talk for 45 minutes every week on college football with myself and Aaron Dugan. Um, he, he sort of is all of the things you need to be to build sort of like a cult like following. And they've monetized that with Patreon podcasts. And he's got a TV show that's been optioned and a potential movie and long form articles and like you name it. He's done it. And he's uh, one of the best at what he does. So. So. So here's how I, I mean, here's how the, like the like the direct evidence of just kind of how popular Godfrey is online and kind of this 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 digital audience that he has built uh, for himself on Twitter and on Instagram, where he does these he does these things like these Sunday morning kind of like these kind of dad talk sort of videos that are <laughs> hilarious. But he so 
at the start of the pandemic, we were looking to do something to fundraise for uh, for restaurants because we didn't know we didn't know what what, what like kind of what kind of government bailout was going to be there for the restaurant industry. So he and I did a fundraiser where he ate. He did this McDonald's challenge where you have to, I've forgotten what it is, but you, you have to eat like just an insane amount of McDonald's food kind of within, within 30 minutes. And we raised like $11,000 uh, just off of, just off of Twitter on a GoFundMe uh, for national restaurants, just because college football people were, were, would, would come in and say, you know, you know, here's you know, here's 20 bucks because of how much you hate Michigan. And here's 20 bucks yeah, for yeah. X or, or Y yeah. or Z. And I want you uh, to pay for it uh, digestively. Yeah. <laughs> and if you want to if you want to see something really funny, go watch. <laughs> go watch that video. Our, our boy, uh, our, our, our boy was in some pain. Yes, I, I imagine he was. Uh, so there you have it. Buck Rising, Mike Keith, Joe Rexro, Tim Corbin, David Ubbin, Tatum Everett, Joe Fisher, Chad Withrow, Caroline Fenton and Stephen Godfrey, our top 10 episodes of Lamestream Sports during the 2021 calendar year. How do you feel? You okay? You feel good? You all right? And that was that was some <laughs> that was some inward looking, wasn't it? <laughs> um all right. So, when we return, you will hear our conversation with Scott Ramsey of the Nashville Sports Council. Lamestream Sports, Steve Cavendish of the Nashville Banner is brought to you by It's brought to you by Jaspers. If you are, in fact, listening to this prior to Christmas, as I know all of you most dedicated listeners are, Jasper's has lots of last-minute gift ideas for you. They got a whole market full of gift ideas. They got gift cards that are also great gift ideas. Hell, you could just take some, one of your family members there who's from out of town and show them, look at all this free parking. And then- <laughs> <laughs> okay, don't give free parking as a gift. You're going to come off rather poorly. Well, I was thinking like the meal would be a good gift. I mean, in the process, you could show the them how smart you are. Parking. Say, hey, I gave you free parking. <laughs> the parking is always free. You didn't let me finish. You can't, Steve. Give, you can't give that. <laughs> it's, it's not a gift that you can give. No, uh, it's like, but like if net, uh, but, it's like net neutrality. But if you want to give, uh, if you want to give something to people, if you're looking for, uh, I'm always looking for stocking stuffers uh, here, sort of at the as the holiday comes hurtling down upon us. Uh, I'm going over there this week because uh, they have a bunch of great food items. They've got a, but they feature a, you know, they feature stuff from Google clusters from Colt chocolates, you know, a great local candy company, Tennessee peanut company, uh, fire pot tea, uh, Southern fried design barn, cotton mule, Thistle farms. I mean, they, they have a whole host of local companies that they're featuring in their market, in their grab and go market um, that are great ideas for you know, you need that one little thing. You need that one little delicious bite to kind of put down in somebody's stocking. Go to Jasper's. Yeah, go to Jasper's. And by the way, stop and have a, a wonderful meal and never pay for parking. If you're listening to this after the Christmas holiday, then there are so many wonderful Preds games for you to go to with all these <laughs> <laughs> with all these awesome drink and food specials during Preds games, home and road, $3 beers, and um, $10, $10 smash burgers. $10 smash burger to, to go with their regular happy hour and their already exquisite menu. So obviously, hopefully the Preds are back playing games because they're really stinking good right now. You can order the gold standard cocktail named after the Predators podcast from this here network. There's so much stuff there for Jasper's before Christmas, after Christmas, Jasper's man. I'm telling you great drink specials, great food, great happy hour, great menu. I don't know what else you want us to tell you about Jasper's other than go to Jasper's. Scott, good to see you, man. Always a pleasure to talk to you about this time of year. Um, First question. Is it the 23rd music city bowl or is it the 24th music city bowl? Which one is it? Let's go with the 23rd game in the 24th year. How's that? <laughs> it, it, it works for me, of course. Purdue and Tennessee, 2 p.m. Central Time, ESPN, of course. Television, December 30th, the TransPerfect Music City Bowl. And I, let's get started with what happens in the room when you guys are going through the process of selecting teams. And it, It's not like a fantasy draft, right? Like It's not like a bunch of guys sitting around a table going like, oh, we'll take that team. Try, try to explain to people what that room and that, that, that scenario is like. But, but I, I will tell you, 20 years ago, Braden, it, it kind of was like that. It, it was like the NFL draft where you were slotted in a position uh, with each your conference partner. And you really our job was trying to anticipate who was going to take whom ahead of us and who did we 
liked to pick and why as it got to our time. Um, that's evolved over time. I think the biggest change came uh, when the college football playoff came into existence in 2014. Um, I think the Bulls had to respond to uh, the New Year Six, uh, the committee, the top four, um, and the uncertainty of how many conference teams are going to participate um, because in the BCS there was a limit of two. So you pretty much had a, a finite ability to kind of predict either ors. Now it could be two SEC teams, could be four, could be three. You don't know until the final rankings come out. So, you know, that changed in 2014. I thought we did a good job as an industry and specifically, you know, in Nashville of reacting to that. And how can we kind of make uh, the, the bowl system better um, with the infusion of the CFP model or the New Year Six? And I thought we did a good job with the pooling system that we currently have now in the SEC to where, we, we really try to, to be very, um, very um, you know, um, distinct about trying to keep the, the, the matchup fresh, the right city and the right team in the right year. And whether that's Tampa, Nashville, Houston, Memphis, or Charlotte, or whatever, Jacksonville, um, try to keep that fresh because we were seeing a lot of repetitiveness and fans were getting stale on that, players were getting stale on that, cities were getting stale on that. And uh, I think for the most part, we've done a really good job with maximizing the ability for the fans to follow their teams and for the cities to host games that are, that are meaningful and unique uh, over the past five, six, seven years. So, you know, that process changed pretty significantly in 2014. So you mentioned the variable there, the college football playoff. And now let's mm – -hmm. Tennessee's in the game, which certainly presents its own unique sort of set of variables, right? So what are the things that you guys – consider when you you take a team but from a financial standpoint when you take a team like Tennessee because that's the goal right is to be as successful as possible for everybody across the board what, what what are the criteria for a team like Tennessee that is both a local a team but you know while you also want to draw eyeballs and, and ticket sales and, and hotel yeah. rooms and all, all kinds of other stuff what, what are the variables that you decide on when you when you pick a team like Tennessee well our, our goals haven't changed for 24 years 23 games 24 years um We've really had kind of three goals. One, fill up the stadium. Uh, the, the, the player environment is so much better with a full stadium if you can do it. Two, fill up our city. Uh, we, we do it for tourism impact. We, we've never been shy about that. You know that. We started the game when Christmas and New Year's was dead. Now we have the ball. We have New Year's Eve. We have a Titans game. We have a Preds game, and we fill it up. And, and that's good business for the city. We represent the city. And then third, how can we maximize the viewership to kind of showcase not only our city, but our tile sponsor and all the great things in Nashville. So those three goals you hope to hit every year, impossible. Some years you do, some years, you know, you try to try to do the best you can. We're trying to balance those um, with, with what's available by wins and losses of who's in each, each conference. So, you know, this year, I, I think, Coming out of COVID, Braden, it, it was a much different uh, feeling in the marketplace. I, I think in talking to other cities and talking to the conference officials and talking to some university folks, you, you, you really still felt a lot of apprehension about long distance travel. And I, I, I think regionality of matchups were really front and center of what everybody was thinking. Could we get a regional matchup to give fans the maximum chance to follow their team. Maybe they didn't get to go in any games last year because of COVID, limited this year, but a chance to kind of be somewhat close. And I think when you look at the SEC, we were able to accomplish that across the border. The SEC was. I mean, Tennessee and Nashville, LSU and Houston, South Carolina and Charlotte, Mississippi State and Memphis, um, Auburn and Birmingham, Florida and Gasparilla and, and St. Pete. So, you gave fans that followed their team a chance to kind of follow them and be somewhat regional and hopefully retention in the marketplace on long distance travel. If you'd sort of take the, the COVID aspect out of this, which I realize is impossible to do, but is it a fair sort of simplification of the equation to just say, Tennessee is going to give you a really, really good game day atmosphere, but maybe won't buy as many hotel rooms. Is that a safe sort of really, really simple way of saying it? Uh, I, I think that's general impression, but our data has not really held true too much of that, Braden. So I, I'll give you just the numbers thing that we've seen. And I'm going to compare, I'm going to lump in Kentucky and Tennessee here because of the, the proximity of Kentucky here. So the years we've had Kentucky and Tennessee has probably been, and I don't have this right off the top of my head, but probably I would say almost all of our highest attended games, you know, in our 24 year history. 
So out of that, what we've seen is, let, let's say on game day, we walk in the stadium and out of 68,000 seats, there's 40,000 um, in orange. So, oh, well, I had 40,000 UT fans. Well, out of that 40, what we've been seeing is, or in Kentucky, yours all blue, um, we've probably been seeing 15 to 20 of those people come and spend night, one or two nights. And then the other 20 are probably local or really day tripping. So, you know, compare that to a, a team that's going to travel a longer distance in Arkansas and Auburn, uh, you know, LSU and LSU, where we saw less people in the stands, but probably a consistent number of 15 to 20 spending the nights. Now, what we're going to see with Purdue is probably some sort of mixture there. Uh, they did great for us in, with the Auburn year, and I think we'll still have 15 to 20,000 Purdue fans here. And I would say 80% of them are going to come for a few nights. So, you know, I think the balance there is somewhat skewed because of when you have a real local base, like a Kentucky or a Tennessee to Nashville, uh, that kind of pushes you from your attendance at 57 or 8, which we've been averaging, to hopefully more of a full stadium. Let's talk Nashville as a city because you've been through this entire process. And like you said, New Year's Eve as a, as a week, there's a ton of events going on now, not just with the Music City Bowl, but across the city. How has, you mentioned the college football playoff as one factor here, but what are the other factors that have sort of elevated the status of this game to where it is today? And how has the city as a market and what you guys are doing played a role in all of that? Well, I, you know, I think as a as an overarching statement, I think we've stayed true to ourselves. I mean, you and I have talked a lot about that, um, you know, over the years of saying, hey, we know who we are. <laughs> We're Music City. You're going to music. We have a downtown campus that is really as good as any in the country to host events. Uh, we've had a variety of events. Our reputation for hospitality and, and fun factor is extremely high among the fan bases. We haven't tried to buck that and, and overdo that. Um, I think when we started the game, we were looking at that three or four day window of travel. You can be home for Christmas and home for New Year's if you wanted, or you can extend it to here. But boy, we're a great destination for three or four days. And now travel patterns have changed where that's really the, the preferred model versus hop on an airplane, fly for seven days, rent a car, fight that, get home and do all that, and spend your vacation money and come for a long weekend, so to speak. And, uh, and we fit that. So I, I think a, our ability to host events, work with the city on, on having the fun factor. Uh, two, um, I think just being better at what we do and the reputation of coming to Nashville, uh, being consistent. Uh, we've worked hard on player events. Uh, this year, again, Jeff Jarrett's going to help us with wrestling, fearborn fear wrestling just for the players. Uh, we host the Wounded Warriors down there with them. We've got a, an event just for the parents of the players, which no other bowl does. And certainly Broadway kind of carries it with the battle of the bands and all the excitement and uh, to be able to kind of walk around and stay and play and go to the game. Uh, obviously a huge slate of action all week long. They're building up to the game again, musiccitybowl.com for tickets, 2 PM central time, December 30th, coming up on a Thursday. Um, can you, can you put a number on what not having the game meant to the city financially? Um, you know, we've been averaging around 17, 18 million in direct spending. Um, so, I mean, I guess that would be the number I would throw out at you over a 20, 22 year average. Um, you know, I, I think it was more emotional than anything. I mean, probably the hardest three or four days of my career being here since 1995. If you think about it, you know, that we didn't know our team till December 20th uh, because of the, the rescheduled games because of COVID. So we know the team's the 20th. We had condensed the, the, the time where the teams were going to come, stay at Opryland one night, play the game, go home. Teams wanted to play. Players wanted to play. We wanted to kind of feel like we're back. Um, downtown bombing happens Christmas Day. A horrific, act, a horrific event in Nashville. There was a lot of thought about, well, should we even move forward with the game? Should they come? Should they travel? Is it safe? Is it okay? It's right across the river from where they're going to play. They set up the TBI, FBI system over there. So there were a lot of things there. We kind of worked past that in the next 48 hours. And then, unfortunately, uh, you know, Missouri called and had enough COVID cases they couldn't play. So that, that was a really difficult window uh, of time. So to be able to bounce back a year later and hopefully have a full stadium and a full city and a lot of energy and atmosphere – um, I think is really exciting. And that, and that comes from both sides, Purdue and Tennessee. They're excited about coming. And uh, we're hopefully getting COVID in the rearview mirror and we kind of move forward. Well, I can't let you go without asking you this question, of course. You, you probably, I don't know, I probably asked you this like 11 times. Um, 
what needs to happen for the Music City Bowl to be a college football playoff game? Well, you know, I, I think first and foremost is what's the model look like? I, I think as they're negotiating now, we've seen some ebbs and flows and some disagreements among the Power Five commissioners right now on what the next iteration is. Uh, this is year two of a six-year agreement with Big Ten and the SEC. Best position we've been in to have high-profile games. And uh, I think we're, we just got to be prepared to be able to react to the new model. What's the new model? Are they going to play on campus? Are they not? What games are going to go to bowl, neutral side or bowl games? Uh, where can we fit into that model? Can we compete for a slot? Um, so it's it's really hard to kind of kind of say in today's terms because I don't think today's terms are going to be what the next iteration is going to look like. Uh, but I don't know what that looks like. So I think we're just trying to stay abreast of, of all that. Certainly, um, I, I know the Titans and the city and the state are working on, you know, what improvements long term are going to be to the stadium. Uh, certainly that'll play in and partnership with the Titans and everybody. So, um, you know, we're going to be ready to compete where we can and um, excited about kind of the growth of, of the bowl and what it means to the city. So you think the Titans and the city can get the renovations done by the time the playoff expands in 2023 is what you're saying? Uh, I didn't say that. <laughs> that that was not on my plate, but certainly uh, um, we're staying uh, uh, we're staying in tune with everybody on the timing of that. Yes. Well, the, to your point, the reason I keep asking is because every time I talk to you, the answer is different and the, the structure <laughs> yeah. is different and it changes. MusicCityBowl.com, of course, is the website. Go get your tickets. You got a whole week of events. Of course, it's always a, a great time. Two p.m. Central Time on December thirtieth. The Trans Perfect Music City Bowl. Scott, always a pleasure, man. Thank you. Great. Appreciate it, Braden. Merry Christmas. That was Scott Ramsey of the Nashville Sports Council, and I'm fascinated by the bowl selection process, the growth of Nashville, and how that has elevated the Music City Bowl in the hierarchy of sort of prestige in in, in the bowl system, which means they're sort of knocking on the door of becoming a, a New Year's Six type of playoff type of game. Um, obviously, a lot of uh, talk there about the finances of Tennessee coming into town and what it means to have a local team versus a, a road team. They're going to sell more tickets, but probably not as many hotel rooms. So uh, I just thought that'd be interesting to get the business side of the bowl game. Uh, obviously, Scott's done a lot of work on that for over two decades, building that game to where it is today as one of the more prestigious bowl games in, in the SEC uh, that is not on New Year's Day. But uh, I think that game is growing. So should be a ton of fun there. Steve, um, did you, is your neck hurt from staring at yourself at all today? uh at my navel yes. yes yep my yep my, my double chin has gotten in the way of staring at my <laughs> my navel uh hope everybody has a wonderful uh holiday out there if you're listening to this before christmas merry christmas happy hanukkah the kwanzaa the festivus all the great stuff uh have a wonderful whatever it is you celebrate have a wonderful weekend and holiday uh where should people go perhaps if they get tired of their in-laws and family and just need a little breather and they need to get out of the house for a few minutes to go, you know, grab a bite to eat and maybe watch a game over the weekend. Where should people go, Steve? Uh, I think perhaps they should go to Jasper's. I think that's a great idea. Go to Jasper's. Everybody. I'm full of great ideas. <laughs> Free parking, great menu, great stocking stuffers if you need it. Uh, great drink specials if, if you're listening to this after Christmas with the Preds back on the ice playing really good hockey. So uh, special thanks to Steve Cavendish, of course, to Scott Ramsey as well. You can follow him on Twitter at S Cavendish. You can follow me, Braden Gall, at Braden Gall. Thank you all for listening. This has been Lamestream Sports on the 440 Sports Network.